Hey, this is Micah Bosworth. I'm the pastor here at Ridgepoint, and this is our sermon podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this is an encouragement to you. Hope it helps to build your faith. And I hope it helps you to see that God is working in your life. Enjoy the message. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 15. 2 Samuel chapter number 15, and let me just give you a little bit of a caveat in regards to this message. This message is not one that I particularly prefer to preach. Uh, I would much rather preach something else. I would much rather preach something that would be more of an encouragement to all of you. How many of you came to be discouraged this morning? Did anybody come? No, we all came to be encouraged. And I hope by the end of the message you will eventually be encouraged. But I just want to try to build a little bit of credibility this morning. I don't want you to dislike me. uh, And I'm going to give you a lot of reason to dislike me because of where we're going to start. But can I just promise you that there's light at the end of the tunnel? At the end of the message, I hope that we'll all be challenged and encouraged. But I want to preach what God wants me to preach this morning. And here is why this is a difficult message to preach. Not only because I'm preaching somewhere I've never preached before. But I'm also preaching a message that I must preach to myself on a day-to-day basis. Uh, This is a message that I have preached. This will be the second time now. The first time that I went to preach this message, uh, I was going to preach something else. It was while my pastor was out of town. And I was going to preach something else. And right before, uh, I believe it was on a Thursday morning, right before, you know, I'm kind of uh, circulating my thoughts and getting my thoughts on paper and trying to decide on what direction I'm going to go. God took me in a different direction. And I didn't like the direction that God took me. And I'm thinking, God, I can't preach that message. And, and what I realized is that God was not trying to give me a message to preach. He was trying to show me what I needed to work on. And that's really difficult to do. I, I can't go and preach a message like this and not be right with God in this area. God, if I'm going to preach that message, that means I'm going to be a hypocrite if I do not come before you and make this right. You'll understand where I'm going here in just a second. But just know this is not an easy message to preach. But I hope it will be a blessing and a help to you. Because I think that 100% of people in this room are going to struggle with what we're going to deal with this morning. Again, in 2 Samuel chapter number 15, uh, before we begin to read, let me just uh, share an illustration with you, all right? By way of introduction, an illustration about these two monks. So there's these two monks, and uh, they're going along a riverbank, and it's a, a place that they would frequent often, and they're going along a riverbank, and they're trying to come to a point uh, where there's normally a bridge, but they got a lot of rain. And so as they came to the point where there would normally be a bridge, the bridge was washed away. Right about that time, a woman came up to the two monks. She was also uh, anticipating there being a bridge so she could cross to the other side. She began to murmur and complain. And she began to say something along the lines of, I cannot believe the bridge is out of all days. I've got so many things that I've got to do. I'm on a time crunch. And she began to bicker and complain. And one of the monks, delighted, looked at her and said, Don't worry, we can carry you to the other side. And the other monk was out of vision of the lady standing behind her and he's looking at her, uh, looking at his friend, uh, his buddy like, what are you doing, man? Why are you telling her we can carry? For lack of a better term, she was not exactly a small woman, okay? You understand what I'm talking about here? So, uh, okay, fine. Well, you've already put your foot in your mouth. So they picked up the woman and they begin to carry her to the other side. And, and man, they struggled and they almost dropped her a couple of times, but eventually they made it to the other side. They put her down. She didn't say a word. She just grunted and went on her way. And they went on their way. And so they're on the other side and they're walking. They make it about a mile. And the first monk says to the second monk, can you believe that woman? 
the audacity that she thinks she's so much better than we are and she's going to make us carry her to the other side. Hello, we all struggle with inconveniences. Uh, uh, all of us were disappointed about the bridge, but uh, really, can you believe that woman? And the second monk looked at the first monk and kind of just shrugged his shoulders and they went about their way. Mile two. He began to complain again and he's like, man, I still just, I can't believe it. I cannot believe the audacity of that woman. She thinks she's so much better than us. And I mean, seriously, she could have laid off the McDonald's. That was really, really difficult for us to get her to the other side and begin to complain and just couldn't believe that she would do something like that. And the second monk looked at the first monk and just kind of shrugged his shoulders. This continued mile after mile after mile. And about mile 10... He begins to complain again. He's like, I just can't believe. And before he could get the words out of his mouth, the second monk looked at the first monk and he said, enough. I've had no more. Stop complaining. We've been traveling for 10 miles. I put the woman down 10 miles ago, but you've been carrying her this entire time. Stop complaining. Get over it and move on. Move on. Here's a newsflash for you this morning. Ridgepoint, life happens sometimes. Life happens, and to, to make matters worse, if it, as if this life was not difficult enough to live, can I just encourage you this morning and make you so glad you came to church? You're going to be hurt sometimes. There's people that are going to do you wrong. You're going to suffer the offenses of others. As a matter of fact, many times in Scripture, you will see that Jesus tells his disciples, be assured offenses will come. You're going to suffer the offenses of others. And to add insult to injury, usually it is going to happen within the confines or the relationships of the people whom you call friends and family. I know that this is a new church, but you know, there's, there's all sorts of bright things for the future of Ridgepoint Baptist Church. But there's one thing that's not so bright, but just as sure. People in this room are probably going to hurt you at some point. You're going to be offended by something that somebody says. Somebody is going to do something against your nature. They're going to do something against your character. And just be assured that you are going to suffer the offenses of others. Maybe even other people in this room. We all get hurt sometimes. You're in 2 Samuel chapter number 15, right? 2 Samuel chapter number 15, let me just bring you up to speed as to what happens right before this. And, and, and I know that we know the story of David, but David has now assumed uh, the throne of the nation of Israel, finally king. He is uh, the sweet psalmist of Israel. He's the man after God's own heart. Uh, the New Testament says of David that he served his generation well. We all know of King David, right? Uh, David was a renowned king. He was a wonderful king. But even before that, uh, we know that Israel, they wanted so desperately to have a king, but they went about doing the right thing in the wrong way and they appointed a king but it was not God's king it was another king by the name of King Saul and we know this about King Saul that he was head and shoulders above the rest but we know how that got uh, the nation of Israel into all sorts of spiritual mayhem uh, but we know David is the great uh, psalmist of Israel but he's also he's not a pacifist David was a mighty warrior David was a mighty warrior. He was a shepherd boy that slew a giant, or excuse me, slew a, a bear and he slew a lion. And he also slew the great Philistine, Goliath. We all know the story of David and Goliath. And man, uh, they said of Saul, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his, slain his tens of thousands. 
And David was a man of great renown. And finally, 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 after a long period of time, believe it or not, God had it all worked out and God was in complete control. And finally, God's man has assumed kingship over the nation of Israel. David is now king over the nation of Israel. And man, uh, David uh, was a great man and a great king. But we, we know this about David. We know this, uh, that, that David fumbled the ball big time. In 2 Samuel chapter number 11, we know that uh, David has, uh, the nation of Israel was at war with the people of Ammon. And David's, uh, really his general of his army, Joab, it came to the point where the Bible says that it was the time in which the kings would go and join in the, uh, the battlefield. They were coming close to the period in which they'd win the battle. And so it was uh, customary for the king to leave and to go and join them. But David stayed behind. It says he tarried in Jerusalem. Yeah, you, uh, guys, I've been fighting a long time. I've been leading a long time. I've put my time in. You go ahead, Joab, and the nation of Israel, you guys go ahead, and uh, I'm going to stay here. I think I'm entitled to some time on my own. And we know this story, but he goes, and he enters uh, upon his rooftop, and he sees a maiden who is fair to look upon, and he sees her bathing. And I've heard preachers uh, preach this text before, and they say, well, bless God, he ought not have been on the rooftop. I honestly think it was an honest mistake. Uh, guys, how many of you, you'll, you'll testify with me. Sometimes you see things you don't mean to see. I don't think it was intentional. The first look wasn't what the problem was. It was the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth. By the way, that's exactly how sin works. It tries to entice you. And the more and more you look at sin, the more and more you incline to sin, the closer you come to falling into the trap of sin. And that's exactly what happened with David. Finally, it says that he inquired of her. He inquires of Bathsheba and she, we know, comes in unto him and he enters into this adulterous relationship with Bathsheba. This is the sweet psalmist of Israel. This is a man after God's own heart and man, did he fumble the ball. Enters into this adulterous relationship with Bathsheba and we know this, that as, he, uh, as they've entered into this relationship, David thinks that he's gotten away with it, but uh-oh, comes out that she is great with child. She's expecting and rather than using that as an opportunity like we all should to make things right, David does what so many of us do so often. And rather than trying to find restoration and making things right, he tries to cover up his sin. I've got an idea. I'm going to get Uriah, her wife, or excuse me, uh, Uriah, her husband. He's my uh, great, we're going to see later, mighty man of valor. And I'm going to get him to come back. And hey man, Uriah, you've been fighting so hard. I, I'm so thankful for your faithfulness. Why don't you enjoy, and I'm, I'm trying to be uh, G-rated here. Why don't you enjoy some time with your family and with your wife? You understand what I'm getting at here. But he's trying to get him to go in into his wife. And he's thinking that if he goes in into his wife, they're all going to think it's Uriah's child. I'm out. Uh, I don't have to worry about suffering the ramifications of my sin but we know this about Uriah that he was a man of great character and he would not go in unto his wife because he was itching to get back onto the battlefield I want to be with my men and so David's attempts intensify and he gets the bright idea I'm going to bring alcohol into the picture because we all know that that makes everything better and he brings alcohol into the picture and, and I'm not condoning uh, alcohol. Matter of fact, I believe that a Christian ought to abstain. And I think that the Bible is clear in regards to that. And if uh, you disagree with me, you can take it up with your pastor. And I'm sure that he can handle the word of God himself. But regardless, I will say this about Uriah. Uriah drunk had more character than David sober. Still refused. I'm not going to go in into my wife. I want to go back to the battlefield. I want to join Joab and my men. And I want to go back onto the battlefield. 
And so David takes it up a level. And think of the irony of this. He takes orders, which Uriah was not allowed to look at, and he places it into the hand of Uriah and says, go take these orders to Joab. And so here's Uriah, the faithful man, returning to the battlefield. Uh, there they're fighting the people of Ammon. And he hands it to Joab, the general. And Joab, probably in front of Uriah, opens the scroll and opens the orders. And you know what it was? It was a suicide mission. I want you to put Uriah on the front lines of battle. And Joab read that knowing full and well, he's not going to make it out alive. And that's exactly what happened. Uriah goes, he's on the front lines of battle. And Uriah dies. But look, he dies at the sword of the people of Amnon, but he dies at the hand of David. David murdered Uriah. That was on David. Problem solved. Uriah's out of the picture. I'll do the noble thing, and I'm going to marry Bathsheba. She'll have the child. I'm out in the clear, and no one has to know that I sinned. But there's one problem with that. Anytime you sin, two people know. Number one is God, and number two is the preacher. How many of you know, have you ever been in a service before and nobody knows about your secret sin and all of a sudden, who told the preacher what I was struggling with because he's starting to preach or hound down on that? Am I the only one? Maybe I'm the only one. But uh, that's exactly what happens and Nathan the prophet comes onto the scene and he comes and he begins to share this story. All right? And by the way, when a preacher shares a story, don't buy it because it's a setup. Begins to share this story, all right? And he's sharing the story about this, this poor man and all he had was a lamb, a little you, just a little lamb. That's all he had, and his neighbor had all that you could ever ask for or ever want. He had sheep, and he had cattle, and he had land, and he was throwing a party, and rather than using one of his own resources, he goes, and, he, and this, is, this is Nathan, the prophet, telling David, he goes and he steals that lamb, sacrifices that lamb, and feeds his party, and gullible little David is standing there, and he's just enraged, he's frustrated, and it's just crazy, he has no self-awareness at all. And he begins to get upset and angry and frustrated and he looks at Nathan the prophet and says, who is this guy? This guy deserves, uh, he deserves the book of the law. Man, this guy, we need to, he needs to pay back fourfold. As a matter of fact, he needs to die. Who is he? Let me at him. And in classic preacher fashion, Nathan the prophet points his bony finger in the face of David and he says, thou art the man. Thou art the man. Uh-oh. David feels conviction at that point. And Nathan goes on to tell him, you're not going to escape the ramifications of what you've done with Bathsheba. And that's exactly what happened in David's life. And it even went further than that. Even after David was dead and off the scene, his family, the nation of Israel, even to this day, are suffering the ramifications of the sin that David committed in 2 Samuel chapter number 11 with Bathsheba. Drama in the house of David ensues read the book of first and second samuel and you'll want to spit it's just disgusting and vile the things that david had to deal with in his family i mean you've got amnon his son and it's so disgusting amnon his son wants to be with his sister and it says that amnon had a friend that encouraged him to engage in this relationship and he does that makes Absalom upset. His brother comes onto the scene and he makes the mess even worse by murdering amnon mess it's 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 drama in the house of david and it gets worse because absalom comes to the position in the point where he thinks i know better than dad and i can lead better than dad and he begins to try to form a revolt against david and he begins to try to form a coup in the nation of israel so that they can overthrow david's throne and that he would be 
And I know I've taken a lot of time to bring you up to speed, but I wanted you to understand the background. Now look with me at 2 Samuel chapter number 15 in verse number 12. And uh, uh, Absalom sent for Ahithophel. Remember that word. And Absalom sent for Ahithophel, the Gilanite, David's counselor from his city, even from Gilo, while he offered sacrifice, and the conspiracy was strong. For the people increased continually with Absalom, and there came a messenger to David, saying, The heart of the men of Israel are after Absalom. And David said unto all his servants that were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, for we shall not else escape from Absalom. Make speed to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly, and bring evil upon us, and smite the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said, uh, said unto the king, Behold, thy servants are ready to do whatsoever my lord the king shall appoint. And the king went forth and all his house, uh, household after him and the king left ten women which were concubines remember that because we're going to come back to that here in just a second but he left ten men, women which were concubines uh, to keep the house and the king went forth and all the people after him and tarried in a place that was afar off now consider what we're talking about here this morning is we're talking about David's depart he relinquishes what he fought so hard to get and that was the throne of the nation of Israel he was God's appointed man. He was the one who God wanted to be king over the nation of Israel, yet he wipes his hands, he leaves it, and this is not some uh, tail between his legs type of king. David was a mighty warrior king. He slew Goliath. Uh, Saul slain his thousands. David slain his tens of thousands. David is not one to ever back down from competition or confrontation. David was never one to leave and to be afraid and to run and to be afraid or scared. And as a matter of fact, I'd have you understand and believe that up until this point, David wasn't even afraid of his son Absalom. We're going to see that later in Scripture, but he was not afraid of Absalom. I know how to handle Absalom. But now, there is somebody that has transitioned to team Absalom that used to be on David's team. And it brings reason for major concern. The Bible doesn't say a lot about him. We're going to look at him this morning. But it's a man by the name of Ahithophel. Say it ten times fast and I'll give you ten bucks after church. It's a hard word to say, but it's a man by the name of Ahithophel. Verse number 12, it says, And Absalom sent forth, uh, excuse me, and Absalom sent for Ahithophel the Gileanite, David's counselor, it says. David's counselor. This is David's right-hand man. This is, listen, this is David's worst nightmare. And I'm not trying to be sacrilegious this morning, quite literally. In David's mind, this is a match made in hell. My son, Absalom, who hates me, and Ahithophel, who knows me. This is not good. This is not a good situation for David to find himself in. This brings reason for major, major concern. And here's the question that I want us to ask this morning. What would cause David, the man who slew Goliath, the man who killed a bear and a giant and killed tens of thousands of men and has led armies in battle and led to a great success in the nation of Israel, tuck his tail between his legs and bid this place adieu? What would cause a king to do that, especially a king with all the accolades like David? Who is Ahithophel? Who is Ahithophel? A couple of things I want us to notice this morning, and I'd encourage you to take notes because I hope it'll be a help to you. Who is Ahithophel? A couple of things I want us to notice. Number one, notice his admirable reputation. His admirable reputation. The Bible does have a little bit to say about this man Ahithophel, and I want us to look at that this morning. His admirable reputation, letter A, he was esteemed. 
He was esteemed amongst the nation of Israel. Ahithophel was esteemed and respected among the nation of Israel. And as a matter of fact, if you keep reading on in our passage, you'll find that David's attention and his concern was not with Absalom, but it was with Ahithophel. He wasn't concerned with the military background of Absalom. He wasn't concerned with his ability or his strength. He was concerned with the wisdom and the counsel of his dear friend Ahithophel, his counselor. Look at verse number, uh, chapter 15, verse number 31. It says, And one told uh, David, saying, Ahithophel is among the conspirators with Absalom. And David said, O Lord, I pray thee, turn the counsel of Ahithophel into foolishness. As soon as he gets word that Absalom now has the counsel of Ahithophel, he gets on his face before God and he begins to plead with God, God, will you please confound the wisdom of Ahithophel? And it came to pass, verse 32, and it came to pass that when David was come to the top of the mount where he worshipped God, behold, Hishuai, you're going to want to remember that name here in just a moment, the archite came to meet him with his coat rent and earth upon his head, unto whom David said, If thou passest on with me, then thou shalt be a burden unto me. But if thou return to the city and say unto Absalom, I will be thy servant, O king, as I have uh, been thy father's servant hereunto, so will I now also be thy servant. Then mayest thou for me defeat the counsel of Absalom? No. Ahithophel. Ahithophel. What David is literally saying here is that, hey, so long as Ahithophel is on team Absalom, we are toast. We don't have a hope in the world. There's no way that we're going to be able to defeat, defeat the counsel of Ahithophel. In fact, one of the reasons that David had seen such success in his reign as king is that David made a great move whenever he assumed the throne by surrounding himself with a great cabinet of people. You can look in second, first and second Samuel, but you'll see that David surrounds himself with people like Joab, the great general, and, and obviously Nathan, the prophet. And, and David would surround himself with great men and great women that would give him great counsel and great military people. And so David's success in his kingship wasn't just because David was a great man and a great warrior, but David understood that I can't do this by myself. I need to accumulate a cabinet of people that are going to support me, that are going to give me good counsel. And right in the center of that cabinet was Ahithophel. Ahithophel was his right-hand man. He was highly regarded amongst the nation of Israel. So much, in fact. Go one chapter forward in chapter 16. Real quick with me, then we'll come back to 15. But this is what the nation of Israel said. And think about what they said. I want you to see it, so I'm going to wait till everybody's there. But in 2 Samuel chapter number 16, look exactly what they say, add what they say in regards to the counsel of Ahithophel. Look at verse number 23. And the counsel of Ahithophel which he counseled in those days, was as if a man had inquired at the oracles of God. Holy guacamole. That is quite the testimony to have. When this guy speaks, it's as though he's speaking on behalf of God himself. When this man speaks, he doesn't waste a word. He doesn't fumble uh, his words or his vocabulary. And the counsel that he gives, you better pay attention and listen. When Ahithophel is speaking, you listen, you pay attention, you do. That's the type of uh, esteem that the nation of Israel held this man Ahithophel to. Man, this, when this man speaks, it's as though he's speaking on behalf of God himself. He was esteemed, letter B, he was endeared by David himself. 
It wasn't just the nation of Israel that held up Ahithophel in regards to their opinion of him. Again, this is a guy that when he speaks, it's as if God is speaking himself. Look, this was David's dear friend, his ally. You don't have to turn, but in Psalm 41 in verse number 9, this is David speaking of Ahithophel. It says, Yea, mine own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. He says, hey, this guy was my familiar friend and I trusted him. I broke bread with this guy. He was my close ally. Psalm 55 in verse number 12, which by the way, Psalm 55 is David's uh, penitential psalm of confession. David did eventually make it right and he goes before God and we know the story but he goes before God and he says create a clean heart in me and renew a right spirit within me purge me with hyssop and look what he says in verse number 12 it says for it was not an enemy that reproached me then I could have borne it neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me then I would have hid myself from him in other words he's saying I was not and I believe he's speaking specifically of his son Absalom here I was not concerned with he who tried to magnify himself against me because I could have hid my face. In other words, I know how to deal with Absalom. But look at what is it, verse number 13. But it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide and mine acquaintance. Then he says this, we took sweet counsel together and walked into the house of God in company. David is saying here, he's speaking of Ahithophel and he's saying, hey look, this man who, who has betrayed me, he wasn't my peasant servant. He says he was my equal. He wasn't just somebody that I knew. He was my familiar friend. He was mine acquaintance. We broke bread together. He was my guide and my companion. When he spoke, I listened and paid attention. When he spoke, I tried to follow his counsel because I knew he's speaking as if God is speaking himself. But then he says this, that we walked to the temple of God in company together. David in Jerusalem would have had his house in walking distance or close proximity to the tabernacle. You know what David is saying here? I was so close to Ahithophel that me and him would walk together in the house or the temple of God to worship with one another. This was not some peasant. This wasn't just somebody in my cabinet. This was my familiar friend, my ally, my close companion, my acquaintance, my guide. He was a man with an admirable reputation who has now pitted himself against King David. Who is Ahithophel? So we see his admirable reputation. Number two, I want us to see this, his astonishing recommendation. His astonishing recommendation. Again, David is on the run. David's departed. He's scared. He's run because of the counsel of Ahithophel. And now, finally, Absalom has assumed the throne of Israel. I'm now king. I'm running the show and I, I, although we've got a lot of bad things to say about Absalom, he was at least smart enough to know that my dad's success was found in him surrounding himself with good military uh, uh, personnel and a good cabinet. And so uh, Absalom endeavors to do the same thing. As a matter of fact, he gets his dad's familiar counselor, his familiar friend, Ahithophel, and he comes and says, Ahithophel, I'm so glad to have you on my team. I'm glad to have you on my team. I'm excited. Anything that my dad has ever done well, there seems to be one common thread and that's your counsel. What should I do? What should I do? Now that I've assumed the nation of Israel and I need to, uh, I need to uh, uh, plague this, uh, this country from David, I need to get him out. And so what should I do? And he listens to the counsel of Ahithophel. And I want you to look at Ahithophel's counsel that he would give Absalom. A couple of things. Number one, defect from King David. 
defect from King David. In 2 Samuel, go back to 15, ready? 2 Samuel 15 and verse number 12, it says, And Absalom sent for Ahithophel the Gileonite, David's counselor from his city, even from Gilo, while he offered sacrifice. And the conspiracy, look at this part, and the conspiracy was strong. For the people increased continually with Absalom. The conspiracy was strong. In other words, Ahithophel, along with a major portion of the nation of Israel, has now left and they have pledged their allegiance, not to King David, but now they've pledged their allegiance to King uh, Absalom. Absalom, you're my ride or die. Wherever you go, I'll go. Whatever you say, I'll do. Wherever you send, I'll go. And like a bunch of Benedict Arnolds, they have now left King David, who had done so many great things for them, and they've pledged their allegiance to Absalom. Why? Because of Ahithophel's counsel. Ahithophel's recommendation was first, listen, we need to rid ourselves of King David. We need to separate from King David. We need to make sure that we have separated ourselves from King David and make it very clear we're going to draw our line in the sand. We are no longer on King David's team. We are now on King Absalom's team. The first line of counsel he gave was we're going to defect from King David. Number two, defilement of David's concubines. Remember I said to remember those ten concubines that David had left behind to keep the house? Ahithophel says, and it's as though he's grabbed the lapel of Absalom and he said, hey, Absalom, if you want to hit David where it hurts, you wanna, if you want to make him hurt and make him regret ever messing with you or me, here's what you're going to do. I want you to look at 2 Samuel chapter number 16 and verse number 20. Ready? 2 Samuel 16 and verse number 20, it says, Then said Absalom to Ahithophel, Give counsel among you what, shall I, uh, what we shall do. And Ahithophel said unto Absalom, Go in unto thy father's concubines, which he hath left to keep the house, and all Israel shall hear that thou art a whore of thy father. Then shalt the hands of all that are with thee be strong. In other words, he tells them, I want you to go in to uh, David's house, and I want you to defile, listen, think of that. I want you to defile David's ten concubines. And he does it. Look at verse number 22. So they spread Absalom a tent upon the top of the house. That's David's house. And Absalom went in unto his father's concubines. Look at this next part. In the sight of all Israel. Hey, listen. Disgusting. How wicked. How vile. What a disgrace. Again, this is God's people. And in the council of Ahithophel, he goes and he, and I'm not, I know we have young people in here. I'm not going to go overboard, but you understand what that means? He goes and in the sight of all Israel, he defiles David's concubines. Here's a question. Does that sound like the council of, what did it say in verse, uh, I think it was uh, uh, verse number 36 of chapter number 15. Does that sound like the council of someone when they speak? It's as though they're speaking the oracles of God. Does that sound like the counsel of the godly Ahithophel who gave spiritual and godly counsel to King David? If you really want to hurt David, oh man, Absalom, listen. If you want to hit him where it hurts, go into his house, take his ten concubines and defile him in front of the whole nation of Israel so that all of them can see that you're the one who's the king now. That's the counsel that this godly Ahithophel gave King Absalom. Ahithophel's recommendation was first, again, we're going to defect from King David. And then he says, I want you to defile David's concubines. But then he goes further. Number three, the destruction of David himself. The destruction of David himself. Again, look at 2 Samuel chapter 17 now. 
I know we're moving along, but we're going somewhere this morning, all right? 2 Samuel chapter number 17, verse number 1, it says, Moreover, Ahithophel said unto Absalom, I want you to look at this, Ahithophel said unto Absalom, Let me now choose out 12,000 men, and I will rise and pursue after David this night, and I will come upon him while he is weary and weak, and will make him afraid, and all the people that are with him shall flee, and I will smite the king only. Let me at him. Let me be the one to pull the trigger. Uh, verse number three, and I will bring back all the people unto thee. The man whom thou seekest uh, is, is as if all returned, so all the people shall be in peace. I don't think I need to elaborate. Simply what he's saying is he is pleading to Absalom. This is Ahithophel pleading to Absalom saying, let me at David. Let me be the one to pull the trigger. Let me be the one. I'll take these 12,000 men. We'll go in the middle of the night. I'll go and I will smite the king. I'll bring his head back on a platter. And then we'll take all the men that David took. We'll bring them back to the nation of Israel. And no one needs to know. Who is Ahithophel? What did David ever do to you that you would want to defect from King David? You'd want him to go in and defile his concubines and now you're begging that this person who he says you're his familiar friend, now you want to see him hang, you want to see him killed, you want to be the one to pull the trigger? What did David ever do to you? Who is Ahithophel? Who is Ahithophel? We see his admirable reputation. Again, he was astonished. He was esteemed uh, in the nation of Israel. He was David's familiar friend, his ally, his acquaintance. We walked into the temple or the house of God together. And then we see that this man who he had the reputation as one who when he spoke, it's as if God himself is speaking. Give the type of counsel that he gave to Absalom and saying, separate from King David, defile his concubines, and then let me be the one to pull the trigger. Who is Ahithophel? I want you to notice this, number three, his awful ruin. His awful ruin. Look at 2 Samuel 17. We're going to keep reading in verse number four. It says, in the saying pleased Absalom well. Again, he shares with him this idea. And it pleased Absalom well and all the elders of Israel. Hey, this seems like a great idea. Then said Absalom, call now Hushai. Remember I told you to remember him? Hushai, the archite also. And let us hear likewise what he saith. And when Hushai uh, was come to Absalom, Absalom spake unto him, saying, Ahithophel has spoken after this manner. Shall we do after his saying? If not, speak thou. Hushai, uh, you know, I really like Ahithophel's counsel. It really has pleased me in the nation or the uh, elders of Israel. He's saying he'll take these 12,000 men. He's saying he'll take those 12,000 men and by the uh, dark of night he'll enter in David will never see it coming he'll go and kill only David and he'll bring all those men that defected with King David bring them back into Jerusalem and nobody needs to know everybody's going to understand uh, that uh, uh, no, no one needs to know and a matter of fact David is going to be out of the picture problem solved what do you think Hushai verse 7 and Hushai said unto Absalom the counsel that Ahithophel hath given is not good at this time the counsel that Ahithophel has given is not good at this time. Look, I know you don't know me, but let me just, uh, uh, some of you are going to be really shocked. I have no military experience. How many of you have served in our military or, or know of somebody in your family that served in our military? All right? I have no military experience, but I know this much. <clears throat> you can keep reading here in just a second if you'd like. We're not going to read, but the counsel that Ahithophel gave was better than the counsel that Hushai gave. There's one thing that Ahithophel understood. Again, this is Absalom who hates him, and this is Ahithophel who knows David. He knows David better than anybody else, and the counsel that he gave was a wiser counsel. If, 
this is Ahithophel, Absalom, if you want your kingship to be extended to a long period of time, and if you want to experience success in your reign as king, you must strike David while he's vulnerable. You must strike David while he's down. As long as David breathes breath, it gives reason and possibility for another revolt. If people get word that David's alive, if David comes and inquires of his people, he could lead a revolt over you just like you led a revolt over him. Strike him while he's down. So here's Absalom, fresh meat king over the nation of Israel. He's been given great counsel by two of these great men. Who's he going to go with? Skip down to verse number 14. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the counsel of Hushai, the archite, is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. For the Lord had appointed to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel to the intent that the Lord might bring evil upon Absalom. Again, our God is a sovereign God and he's in control and he had it all figured out. And I really think that's the context of that scripture, but I don't want you to notice that. I want you to notice that they said that Hushai's counsel is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. What's Ahithophel going to do about that? Ahithophel is not used to people telling him no. Ahithophel is not used to people not adhering to his counsel. Ahithophel understood, I know David better than anybody else, and they've not listened to my counsel. How's he going to respond? 2 Samuel 17, verse number 23. Verse number 23, it says, And when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his ass and arose and got him home to his house, to his city, and put his house in order. And hanged himself and died and was buried in the sepulcher of his father. He killed himself. Who is Ahithophel? Doesn't matter. He's dead. One of the seven times in scripture that you see suicide take place, we just read about. Ahithophel kills himself. He hangs himself. And it says that he was buried in the sepulcher of his father. And here's the question that I want us to answer. Why? Why? Why would somebody in such power, having the heart of the king, treated maybe even like a king himself, he said he is mine equal, what would lead Ahithophel to forsake his dear friend David and to defect from David and then not only that, to give counsel to his enemy, his son Absalom, to defect from his father, to defile his concubines, to allow him to be the one to pull the trigger? And then what would lead Ahithophel when his counsel is not heeded to come to the point where he is so depressed and so disparaged that he'd go home and put his house in order and hang himself? Why? I want us to see this. Number four, his agonizing reason. His agonizing reason. Go to 2 Samuel. I'm going to have you turn. I know, I, I know I'm preaching long, but I want us to go somewhere because this is where we're going to connect the dots. Go to 2 Samuel chapter uh, number 23, real quick. 2 Samuel number 23. And before David passes on from the scene, David is coming to the end of his reign as king. And as David is passing, he is remembering or recalling some of the great men that have served alongside David. 
We're talking about great men that have served him. Some even served him while he was a warrior. Before all the fanfare. Before he was a king. They were there by David's side. They were his ride or die. They were faithful to David to the end. They were ones that dedicated their lives in faithful service to David. And David, again, his success really was accredited not just to his character, but to the people that he would surround himself with. Verse number 8. We read about David's mighty men of valor. You ever heard of David's mighty men of valor? We read about it in verse number 8. These be the names of the mighty men. Verse 8. These be the names of the mighty men whom David had. And he goes on to read 37 men. 37 different men that served alongside David. Uh, men like a dino. Man, a dino. Guys, all you young guys, read the book of First and Second Samuel and it'll make you want to watch the movie Patriot. You just want, oh, it's, just, it, it's, it's a guy thing. I can't explain it. But uh, 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 a dino goes and he slays 800 men at once. Wow. Men like Eleazar fought so hard for David that the Bible says that his hand grew weary and his hand claved to the sword. He couldn't remove the sword from his hand from fighting so hard. Uh, there were all sorts of different men that he would reference there. Dozens of men, 37 in all, that served David, that gave their life to serve David, David's mighty men of valor. And it's a list that's really not that long. Skip down to verse 34 of that chapter. Eliphalet, are you there? Verse 34, it says, Eliphalet, the son of Abeshai, the son of the uh, uh, Maconite. And then it says this, ready? Eliam, the son of who? Eliam, the son of who? Ahithophel. Eliam, the son of Ahithophel, the Gilanite. So the Bible tells us right there that Eliam is the son of Ahithophel. And he is listed as one of David's mighty men of valor. As a matter of fact, if you read a little bit about Eliam, Eliam served David to the point of death. He was devoted, he was faithful, but I want you to understand that although Ahithophel's name is listed, he is not listed among the names of David's 37 uh, mighty men of valor. He didn't make the cut. Remember, he drew his line in the sand. He picked King Absalom over King David. But he's referenced just as a little asterisk there in saying that he was the father of one of David's mighty men of valor, Eliam. All right? Verse number 39. Here's a more familiar name. Verse number 39. What does it say? Who's the, what's the first word? Uriah. Uriah the Hittite, 30 and 7 in all. 30 and 7 in all. So amongst David's 37 mighty men of valor, there's a man by the name of Eliam that is mentioned. And then obviously there's a man by the name of Uriah that is mentioned. You're going to turn to one more place. I promise we're almost done. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 11. I want everybody to go there. 2 Samuel chapter number 11. This gives in scriptural detail the story that I began with the night that David sinned with Bathsheba. 2 Samuel chapter number 11, verse number 1, it says... And it came to pass, after the year was expired, at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the uh, children of Ammon uh, and besieged Reba. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. Mistake. But David uh, tarried still at Jerusalem, and it came to pass in an eventide that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a uh, woman washing herself, and the woman was very beautiful to look upon. And David sent and inquired after the woman and said, Is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of who? The daughter of who? Eliam. 
the daughter of Eliam, the wife of who? Uriah the Hittite. The biggest mistake that David ever made, one of the biggest mistakes in the history of the nation of Israel, happened in 2 Samuel chapter number 11 when David chose to go and enter into this adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, who was the granddaughter of who? Our character, Ahithophel. You connecting the dots now? Did you you just have a light bulb moment like I did? He defiled his granddaughter. He enters in and enters into this adulterous relationship. And again, this is the biggest blunder that David would ever commit in the nation of Israel. They would pay for it for the rest of his life and even to this day. But there was one person that was seemingly more affected than any other. And this drove the knife deep into the back of Ahithophel. Deep into the back of Ahithophel. How many of you are like me? You're looking at this story and you're saying, what's his deal? I mean, why would you do that? Why would you leave David who's been good to you and why would you defect from him and why would you give that type of counsel to Absalom to defile his concubines and defect from him? Why do you want him dead? And then why would you go and you'd kill yourself when he doesn't even listen to your counsel? Who is Ahithophel? But then all of a sudden, the light bulb clicks and you realize that David's biggest sin was when he goes into Bathsheba and he defiles his granddaughter and then all of a sudden, how many of you are like me? Now I'm on team Ahithophel. I'm changing teams. You defiled my granddaughter, David. You defiled my granddaughter. You hurt me. You ruined my family. Seven days later, after the baby is born, the baby, by the way, that had nothing to do with the sin, has died. You went and killed my son-in-law by law. Hey, you hurt me. You hurt me. And I am justified in my vindiction against you because you did me wrong. You did me wrong and everything that I have done up until this point is justified because you hurt me deeply. Who is Ahithophel? Ahithophel, ready? Ahithophel is a victim. That's right. Yeah, that's right, Brother Lamar. He's a victim a stinking dirt bag of a King David. I can't even believe that he'd do that. No, he's a victim, but he's not a victim to David. Yeah, he's a victim, all right. He's a victim to King Absalom. He should have listened to his counsel, and if he would have, it would have ended differently for his reign as king. No, he's not a victim to King Absalom. I know, he's, he's a victim to difficult life trials and circumstances. True, but no. Listen, Ahithophel was a victim, but Ahithophel was a victim not of any person or anything. Hear me this morning. Ahithophel was a victim to bitterness and resentment. Ahithophel was a victim to bitterness and resentment. As Ahithophel's lifeless body, listen, as it hung there from the noose that he tied himself, he did not die by asphyxiation. He did not die by the hand of David. He did not die by the nation of Israel or by the hand of King Absalom. He died, listen, because of resentment and bitterness and his inability to let go of the past and to let the Lord have his way. A couple things I want us to notice and we're gonna close. Number five, I want you to notice his application resonates. 
his application resonates. What do we learn from this story of Hithophel? What do we learn about this story of entourage and, and defilement and betrayal? A couple of things will be done this morning. Number one, he hindered the progression of God's people. He hindered the progression of God's people. You don't have to turn. You've turned enough, but I'll read it to you. In 2 Samuel chapter 15 and verse number 10, it says, But Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as ye hear the sound of the trumpet, then ye shall say, Absalom reigneth in Hebron. And look at this. And with Absalom went 200 men out of Jerusalem. That doesn't sound like a revolt. 200 men, that's nothing. And, in the, and just to make it worse, look who, what type of men they were. Uh, verse number 11, it says, And with Absalom went 200 men out of Jerusalem that were called, and they went in their simplicity, and they knew not anything. In other words, these were not only 200 men, but they were inexperienced, and they didn't have any military background. I don't know, I kind of think that maybe they were te uh, teenagers because it says that they didn't know anything. They were simple. They didn't understand. And so that doesn't sound like a revolt. But then you go on to read later in the passage and you see that all of a sudden it says that the conspiracy grew and was strong with Absalom. Why? Absalom? No. Ahithophel. Because of the counsel that Ahithophel, hear me, because of the counsel of Ahithophel, Ahithophel was used as a tool and as an instrument by Absalom and by the devil himself to deter the nation of Israel on the path that God had intended them to go and led them on a detour in the path that God did not want them to go. What do you mean? Who was supposed to take the throne after David? Who was supposed to take the throne? You go on to read about him in 2 Samuel. It's a man by the name of Solomon. Solomon was God's intended king and would eventually be king. But because Ahithophel counseled Absalom leading a revolt against David, it was Ahithophel that led the entire nation of Israel on a detour, extending their time away from God's intended path that he had set before them. He led them on a detour. He hindered the progression of God's people. Number two, he hijacked God's plan to serve justice to David. Hey, this is important. How many of you know this, that God didn't need Ahithophel's help to serve justice to David? He didn't need Ahithophel's help as a matter of fact. Listen, the type of justice that God can serve is a whole lot sweeter than the justice that Ahithophel can serve. The type of justice that God can serve those that do you wrong, do me wrong, and did Ahithophel wrong, God doesn't need his help. God doesn't need our involvement in order to get at or have access to people that have done us wrong. And as a matter of fact, again, God's justice that he would eventually serve David was a whole lot sweeter a whole lot more pure, a whole lot more satisfying than anything that David could have ever, or excuse me, Ahithophel could have ever hoped to do to David. But when Ahithophel hijacked God's plan, that led to this, number three, he hurt everyone around him, including himself. He hurt everyone around him, including himself. Matter of fact, he, he hurt everyone around him, especially himself. Especially himself. If you begin to work your way back in the life of Ahithophel, you'll see death, defilement, entourage, overthrow, and it all leads back, hear me, this is the message right here, it all leads back to a moment in Ahithophel's life when he said something along the lines of this, I can't let it go. I can't let it go. I won't let it go. He hurt me. He's got it coming. I'm not gonna let it go. I'm gonna get not even over even 
and his inability to let it go led really to an entire life of pain and sadness. And listen, it led to his very identity being changed. What do you mean? Before his bitterness, he was known as the man who inquired of God. But now his identity would be found, ready, in how he died and why he died. Any time that anybody in the nation of Israel would talk about Ahithophel, they wouldn't talk about that identity over here. They'd be like, Ahithophel, you mean that bitter old man that died who killed himself? It, it became his very identity. His bitterness, his resentment, and his anger against David. Lastly, number four, he had the opportunity to see God work a miracle, but he missed it. Ahithophel had the opportunity to see God work a miracle and he missed it. I asked a question just a moment ago. I'm going to ask it again. Who was supposed to be and eventually would take the nation of Israel? Who was it supposed to be? King Solomon. Follow-up question. Who was Solomon's mother? Who was Solomon's mother, do you know? It's a woman. You might not have heard of her. Her name is Bathsheba. Bathsheba would go on to give birth to a man named Solomon. Read about it in the Old Testament. One of the greatest, wisest men to ever live. One of the greatest kings in the life of the nation of Israel was the great-grandson of Ahithophel. You know what's even more ironic than that? Is Solomon had, or rather, Ahithophel had the opportunity to see the very thing that caused David, or excuse me, caused Ahithophel so much pain. I'm talking about the offense itself and bring forth a great message and bring glory and honor to the Lord through the line of Solomon, his great-grandson, but he missed it. Why? David? No. Absalom? No. He missed it because of his bitterness and because of his resentment. He missed the opportunity to see God work a miracle out of the very thing that caused him so much pain but bitterness kept him from ever experiencing that joy. Bitterness is the poison that we swallow in an effort to hurt those that have wronged us. Think of that. Bitterness is the poison that we swallow in an effort to hurt those who have wronged us. I know I'm a visiting preacher this morning, and I know a couple of you by name, but I'm not gonna pretend to know what you're going through today. Can I just tell you something? No matter what you've gone through, no matter who's hurt you, no matter who's caused you pain, no matter what level they've caused you pain, can I just say, if Ahithophel were here this morning, you know what he'd say? It's not worth it. It's not worth it. It's not worth living a life that the bitterness so far outshadows the offense itself. He would say something maybe along the lines of this. You should move on. Why would you say that? That's so heartless. No, I, I, hey, I should move on. Again, this is a message that I'm preaching with a finger pointing at you, but like my grandpa used to say, when you've got a finger pointing at them, you've got three fingers and a thumb pointing back at yourself. I am so prone to be bitter and angry at other people that have done me wrong. And here is an example of somebody who lived their life and their very identity became the person who took their own life 
because of their bitterness and resentment. And I believe if he were here this morning, he'd say, hey, it's not worth it. It's time to move on. Let it go. And I know this term gets overused in church. Let go and let God have his way. And if you have suffered an offense of someone else and you are holding on to the resentment and the pride and the bitterness, can I just tell you, not only is that going to become your very identity, but you are missing the opportunity to relinquish that offense and allow the Lord to serve justice that's far sweeter than you could ever serve. And then, you're also missing an opportunity to see the Lord maybe even take that situation and bring forth an opportunity to give Him glory and honor and praise. Let it go. Remove it. Forgive. But you don't understand what they've done. Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Why? Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you, do you need more of an incentive to forgive the offenses of others than that God forgave you for the things that you've done against him? If you need more of a reason, I'm the wrong preacher preaching this morning. We must learn to let go of the offenses of others. We must learn to let go let God and move on from the hurts of the past. But remember I said I'd be encouraging this morning at the end? When you do that, it's the most freeing experience that you could ever experience on this side of the cross. To relinquish your bitterness and pride and let the Lord have his way, it's a freeing experience and it provides opportunity to bring glory and honor to the Father. Thank you so much for joining us. A special thanks to those that give generously to our ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. For more information about our ministry, check out our website at wenatchechurch.com. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, you can share it with your friends, hit the share button or take a screenshot and share it on your social media, and tag us at Wenatchee Church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.